Massachusetts, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show, presented by RIA Advisors. Well, surprise, it's Financial Fitness Monday. Today, we're all heart, no chart. Well, some chart. Monday, the Harry and Megan of the work week. And we're here, well, to try to make it easier for you. Well, Dan, uh, not Danny, Danny's here. Lance is taking a well-deserved break. Well, and break is relative for Lance, because no matter where he is, the man's writing and working, but from a different location, from a different bat cave today. But we're going to talk about all kinds of cool stuff. Well, Dow futures are mucky. You know, we expect this sort of kind of malaise in the morning down eight points. Obviously, Danny, today, well, today might be a big day. We don't know. We have this uh, debt limit right up against the wall here. We have a president that seems rather complacent about it and keeps to be blaming everybody else. But today, they seem to be more optimistic. They're going to come to a deal. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see the um, what kind of a deal this is, isn't it? What well, is? I think they all want something different, right? I mean, obviously, you're looking at Republicans coming out saying, "Hey, we need to start making some additional cuts." Democrats are saying, "Hey, we've already this is these bills have already been passed. Why are we going to come back and cut specifically around the Inflation Reduction Act?" I think, you know, Friday was a no-go. <laughs> Everybody left meetings, walked out. Market didn't like it. Uh, yeah. Evidently, yesterday they're coming back together today now. So that did change the tone Friday, didn't it? It did. It changed it quite a bit. I think one thing I think most people are watching for is this is. Obviously, the headline news, but Fed's Fed, lots of Fed speakers today. What we have three yes. coming out, I think five or six for the week. Um, plus, we get down to Friday, a lot of data coming out. PCE, PCE is going to be the big one, especially considering that it seems to be what the Fed is targeting on. And we know that inflation, uh, especially some of the numbers they look at, have been uh, uncomfortably stubborn. And when you look at sticky price CPI from the Atlanta Fed, it really, it's flatlined. It hasn't gone higher, but now it has to head in the right direction, which is down. And we're not seeing that. We're not seeing that. So this PCE number is going to be very important, to your point, Danny. And it, it really creates a conundrum for the Fed because you have to think about, okay, we've got rates at this level, but are we going to wait or should we increase rates again? My thought is probably they're going to be much, much more data dependent as they go forward. They're going to look at the data and then decide what regardless of the PCE is going to be. I, you know, it's going to be, you know, again, we never know how the market's going to react. Obviously, if PCE is hotter, we know how the market's probably going to react. Yeah. If it's flat, I'm not really sure. And what if you're in this period where inflation is stubborn? And that's what we've... You know, that's what we've seen. We've seen this. It's This is like a slow roll accident. You ever see those crash tests with the cars and the dummies in it? And then they do it in slow-mo. <laughs> We're in that kind of slow-mo crash right now. It's going to take a while for inflation to subside. So, yeah, lots of big numbers coming out. Yeah, the market's, the market afraid of. I'm not sure the markets know how to react. I mean, look at CME Fed forecast, you know, yep. uh, just at the beginning of last week, it was like 84% probability they're going to keep rates the same. Then they dropped all the way down to like 63, I believe is what mm -hmm. it was. And then this morning back up to 74. So 
really trying to digest the data, understand what it actually means, what the Fed, how they're going to react. I think we're going to get a little bit um, you know, better information here once we, we hear these Fed presidents come out and speak. In some ways, and we said this after the Great Recession, I, I know I did, we're in uncharted territory for data because something changes in the consumer psyche, something changes in society. After the financial, crisis, um, the financial crisis, what I was worried about, and I put it on Facebook, was the, the rise of more socialism, um, that we would see much more of the government open the door for much more of a socialist kind of environment going forward if we didn't course correct. And obviously, we're gone from socialist light <laughs> to maybe not so light. So every disaster, every issue creates a different set of concerns that maybe the data doesn't reflect. I mean, I think eventually the data goes back in line, but it deviates so dramatically. And I think in where those periods, Danny, where that data is off the guardrail and we're all guessing, right? Yeah. We're all trying to figure it out. <clears throat> and, and, and I think that that's, that's, that's a big concern. When you look at the market and you see this big tech rally and, and, and pretty much this rally across the board being just a few companies and the breadth of the market being so poor, um, you know, money's trying to find a place. It just doesn't look like it wants to stay there. Obviously the AI story has created a lot of momentum, even though no one really can tell me what AI is. Like, oh, AI, AI, AI. It sounds like uh, Ricky Ricardo, ay, 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 ay. But nobody really knows what the deal is, right? Like, there's no company that's directly involved, possibly, but there are a lot of companies involved in it, and there are a lot of industries that will either participate in it, benefit from it across the board. But, you know, it's the narrative, and that fits right into the NASDAQ 100. But I think, as Lance has been talking about, we've seen this tech sector become really overdone. So we've been putting some money in some of the out-of-favor areas <clears throat> as well. And I think that sometimes that's difficult for, for clients and for people to start putting money into areas that are not overheated, fundamentally look like they've been beat up. But they're, you know, we've added a little bit to energy not too long ago as well because these are areas that are – People, you know, there's there's not a lot of not a lot of light shined on them, right? So we 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 also as managers have to find value. It's not just all momentum trade. Can't have your whole portfolio because to your point about the data and where we're going, this can shift so quickly. Well, Ken, I think you know you, you just mentioned market breadth, and then you know that's where I think the, there are a lot of opportunities that are out there. I mean, think about this: we've had some bubbles that have popped already. You look at crypto, you look at spacs. I mean, where have spacs gone? I haven't seen that Ackerman in. Anywhere. Oh, man, those things have. <laughs> I mean, that was like the, those are the, not, the yeah. talk the, of the day the every dude day. That for really months. started it. He, he disappeared. <laughs> he's not even on TV anymore. I think he's, yeah, like he's a, sitting on an island somewhere. <laughs> Guy made his money and he ran, right? So, but, but what you're getting at, I think, yeah. is really important is that you do have to find those out of favor areas that I think have that potential for that upside. You know, looking at a lot of um, reports here over the last week or two, some of them, we're getting conflicting data. If you look at Target, you look at um, Lowe's, Home Depot, versus you look at Walmart. You know, Walmart's still expecting growth. Uh, some of these companies are benefiting in other ways that, that some aren't. And if you look, I think one thing is look at the consumer in general. I think it's been a lot more resilient than anticipated. Um, maybe it's coming out of the pandemic, but 
people are still spending. They're still going out to eat. You go to the airport. You go to a bar. You go to any of these places, yeah. and it seems like they are still busy um, just in general compared to what you would typically well, I, see, right? Yeah, I think people have redirected their spending. You know, Home Depot, everybody tried to renovate everything, right? Every, yeah. You couldn't get a hold of a contractor. Oh, when can you do a deck? Uh, 2027. And they're throwing these crazy numbers out and still getting And, and, and getting people paying for yeah. it. Yeah, it's not that way anymore. So when you look at the NASDAQ 100, call volumes have hit the highest level since 2014. Do I want to go ahead and put money into the NASDAQ 100 or take profits? I think smart investors know the answer to that. All right, we get back. We got more of, it doesn't flow well, Financial Fitness Monday. Got to come up with something else. Money Monday. Money Monday coming at you. We'll be right back. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Why, Red, whatever are we going to do over this hot, lazy summer? Don't you worry, little darling. We're going to break our money malaise. Don't let the summer doldrums sap your money's worth. Register for our next Candid Coffee with Danny Ratcliffe and Richard Rosso with summertime tips for your idle cash. Saturday, June 3rd. It's our half-year financial checkup, breaking your money malaise this summer. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratcliffe and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So, uh, Saturday, June 3rd, we got a break in your money malaise. Oh, money malaise Monday <laughs> this summer. So we have some tips for you. <clears throat> How do you break out of the muck that the market's in? What do you need to do for your household? Well, yesterday, as I'm working on this presentation, I'm thinking about all the summer songs. I wonder if Brent Clanton has a favorite summertime song. Is there a song that you hear that automatically brings you back to that summer of your youth when you and Abe Lincoln would <laughs> go ahead and walk through the fields barefoot and read your books? And yeah. Any 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 summer song? You Seals and Crofts Summer Breeze. That's like number two on my list. Yeah. That's a good one. Seals and Crofts. What's number one? I think I put Summertime Blues by Eddie Cochran. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. an oldie, but I found some, you know, I, I couldn't go past like the 80s, man. There's no real good music after the that. The Beach Boys. Yeah, they were a couple Sailor. of Beach Boys. Yeah. yeah. Well, Boys of Summer. Boys of Summer, yeah. right? Some of the yeah. Beach Boys stuff in there. Um, then I put some songs in that came out that reminds me of summer mm -hmm. because they came out around that time, like Brandy. Yeah. You're a fine, You're a fine girl. girl. Right. Yeah. So songs that people listen to that remind them of summer. So there are songs that you might just, that may not have any relation to summer, but we're going to talk about what to do with your cash, planning ahead for the, for the next season, you know, things you can do that you have control over. This mucky market is something you do not have control over. Peter and Gordon, summer song. Ah, did not include that one. Yeah. That is a good one. Peter and Gordon Danny's always looking talk, at me like, they Ooh. always sang like they were neutered. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, 
there was something breathless about them. But I liked them. They were very calming. They, yeah. they were very, hi, Danny. <laughs> How are you? Let me sing you a song. My name is Peter, and my name is Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> and then you would, like, summer yourself to sleep. Uh, but they were, uh, they were a big hit there for a while. I've been corrected. It was Chad and Jeremy. Either one. You man. know, they had all these duos. They, they did, yeah. and they all sounded breathless, like someone kept punching them in the gut. But it was good stuff. It was good stuff. Yeah, yeah it was. It, it, it was good for the time. Today, they would be strung up and thrown into the ocean. <laughs> what are you guys doing? <laughs> Open your mouth and sing. And where are the dirty words? So, but yeah, all great. So we want to come up with these tips for you, things you need to do, because I you know the market, Danny, is frustrating. You know, it, it, when people are sitting stagnant and they don't know what to do or they feel like, hey, you know, I'm not making any progress, you know, you got to step away from that <clears throat> and look at the big picture and realize this is a very short period of time within a very long time that you're probably going to best invest, even if it's a decade. So remember, you're going to go through these periods and a consolidation like this, I don't think is unhealthy. This is corrective. It's just, you know, I guess it's somewhat painful because it's a drag. But having a time correction and working through valuations over time feels rougher uh, in some ways. It's like, you know, water torture to some degree. But it does, it does help with valuations, right? I mean, well, me, we looked at how expensive it's been. And you yeah. know, you're, you're buying something that's expensive, hoping that it's going to continue to become more expensive. Yeah. And, you know, this is what most people wait for, but I do believe this is psychologically, it's just difficult. Yes. You know, nobody wants to see this. And I think the other caveat is that now you can get paid for cash. So it's like, I, all right, well, and I, th I think that that's where it's important to have a little bit of each. That's a good point, though, because people feel complacent because, hey, if I'm getting four or five percent yeah. on riskless money for the most part, um, I'll, you know, I'm going to take I, that over over equities. Yeah, I find though that that people who long term investors, people who've done this for a long time, um, and have done well, kind of get the they understand the story, right? They understand yep. what's going on and why we're doing this. We also have some people that get really emotional, mm -hmm. and I find that the ones that have been emotional historically, like have a handful of people said, "Listen, never really made any money in the market," and in times like this, you start to figure out why, because they will go all to cash. But the problem is they'll get back in when it's way too late. Kind of like we were getting a lot of calls a year or two ago. People have been like, hey, I've been out of the market since 08. <laughs> yeah. I need, to, I need to get back in. I need to get back in. What do we do? And it's like, man, this is tough, right? So you, you begin to step in. But even for that, even if you didn't have a terrible year like the majority of the market did, it's still, I think, that you know, you'll probably people a little bit more prone who invest that way to say, hey, let's just do, let's go to cash. Let's hang out on the sideline. Let's get back. And you know what? I, I'm okay with that, too. If you know yourself, you can't sleep. I don't think there's any amount of return or interest that's worth it. However, you just need to understand and know that long term, you know, when are you going to get back in? When is it going to feel good? Because when we really want to buy in earnest, most people won't do it. Right? I mean, yeah, I that's agree. the problem. Listen, I think there are a lot of people who have problem with their advisors, and they're the problem. I mean... Your advisor is not perfect. <clears throat> your advisor, if your advisor is trying to do the right thing, they're making decisions 
they're not just looking at decisions for this week. They're looking at decisions for one, two, three, five years down the road. <clears throat> so just because you're emotional over it and you've always made bad decisions and you're going to continue to do it, <clears throat> that's not a reflection of your visor. Sometimes you, investor needs to look in the mirror and say, maybe it's me. Maybe it's me that's the problem. I'm never going to find the perfect advisor because maybe I need to assess what I am, what I want, what I'm looking for, and maybe that unicorn that people look for is just not out there, Danny. I mean, every advisor that I know, the good advisors, they try their best. And sometimes what an investor wants to do is absolutely against their own best interest. Well, but I think this is also where you need to understand it. Who are you paired up with as well? This is where making sure that you understand the philosophy, what's going on, how you're going to invest. Is this a buy and hold strategy? And, and are you vehemently against that? Or is it something that's going to be a little bit more nimble? Like I find it because we are nimble and more active that sometimes it's difficult for somebody to understand like, okay, why would you guys go? You're, you have much more in cash right now, or you're beginning to put more into equities. And if it's completely against what, I feel is going to happen. I think right. that's the difficult part is that when you operate with a discipline and it's not a all or nothing strategy, if somebody's on the other side and they say, look, I don't feel good about any of this, what are we doing? Why would you go buy a stock? Or why would we look to go invest in bonds? They had a terrible year last year. Right. And it may be that's, that's the reason, right? You stick to the discipline. You understand. You start adding exposure. Or you, you decrease it when things have done really well. Um, and I think that's probably really difficult for most. Because yeah, it's, I, it goes against, it's, it's counterintuitive is what it feels like in a lot of ways, right? The best investors or, or people I know who do a good job are financially, they're aware of themselves. They're aware of their own pitfalls. They understand where they're weak when it comes to money, and they understand where they're strong. In other words, they really objectively look at themselves. They say, you know, I, I always make this timing move at the worst possible time. Um. You have advisors that are buy and hold. Right, you got to start with your philosophy first. But <clears throat> if your strategy is with an advisor that manages risk, you can't, <clears throat> you can't expect your advisor, <clears throat> excuse me, you can't expect your advisor to <clears throat> not lose money. Your advisor might cut the bleeding, yeah. minimize your loss. That's important, right? Not ride you all the way down. But if you have an advisor that's active, but that advisor is going to capture some of that downside. There is no advisor out there that consistently is going to go, well, Mark is down 20% and I'm up 4%. Madoff did that every year. Magically. It's not out there. And if it is out there, it's luck. And it won't happen. It won't continue. So understand the path of the variable assets. I, just, I talked to someone Saturday. And he said, you know, I just... I'm, I'm just not good with downside risk. I, you know, I, I don't like it. And I said, well, nobody likes it. So don't give yourself a break. Nobody likes to lose money, even in the short term. Okay. Yeah. But if you want zero downside, then there are investments out there for you. But you give up something with it, right? I can go into a fixed indexed annuity with zero downside, but I drop my liquidity. I don't have the real liquidity from an asset like that. And you drop some potential upside too. Potential upside. But I know consistently I have no downside risk. I can go all in bonds and ladder them out and go away. But then I have other risks. There's, there's nothing, no investment out there that's riskless. 
you have to compromise between how much you want to take in risk and how much you want to manage and minimize it. There's, there's no free lunch here with this stuff. Speaking of free lunch, did you see Meta, find, Meta was fined $1.3 billion over EU user data transfers to the United States? <laughs> the Irish Data Protection Commission to suspend uh, is involved in this. $1.2 billion. Or 1.2 billion euro. $1.3 billion. Ooh, that's a lot of money. That's a hefty... That's a, that's a lot of cash. <laughs> Facebook said it would appeal the decision and the fine. It just shows you how your data is everywhere. Transferring EU data to the U.S., U.S. data is going to China, China's data is going who knows where. Well, I think it's everywhere. I mean, did it you is. hear about the reporter with Financial Times where um, somebody from TikTok actually called her and they were, she was reporting on TikTok. She was in London. And they stole all her data. Basically, they could see where she was, what she was doing. And somebody at what? TikTok actually called her and let her know. Like, they were, hey, you need to go wow. check this article out. So there's an article that was written strictly on this, and it was mentioning a Financial Times reporter. Ended up being her. And they knew, like, everything about her. Wow. And she said, is this me? And the person at TikTok said, yes. Duh. So, you know, yeah. Financial Times, eh, going downhill. So, when did the greatest generation turn into a generation that just rolls its eyes at retirement and is lost? Well, this is a survey compiled by Northwestern Mutual. We're going to go over when we get back here on Money Monday. Stay tuned. Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. And we're back. So, uh, you know, you can join us on YouTube. We have great groups on our YouTube channel. James Butler's on there. James has some good stuff. It's just... His words are good, but I don't think a lot of investors can do it. Buy low, sell high. I, I think most investors want to buy high, sell higher. And, and there is a complete body of knowledge around that, that it does work for trading purposes, right? Momentum trades are viable. Uh, oh, absolutely. But I don't think that most of the population isn't, isn't prepared to do that. I mean, a lot no, of people I don't are really so good either. at buying. They're really bad at selling. Right? Exactly. I mean, like Investor's Business Daily, since I've been reading since 1989, has been based on that premise. You don't look at yeah. the 52-week low list. You look at the 52-week high list, right? But that's a philosophy and a strategy. And people don't want to buy value. I think most investors are not value investors. They, they don't want to buy low. They don't. It's just not ingrained in us. It's buy high, sell higher. But yes, I totally agree. And then I like his triple P's. Patience, position, sizing, persistence. 
I, I think those are great, right? And you wrap some rules in there within, right? Expand out on patience, position sizing, and persistence, right? You look at that. Like if I want to buy into beaten down companies that I think are fundamentally strong and they don't look good technically, maybe I, I know my position size. I, I need to know how to build that position size and stick with it. Be persistent unless the fundamentals change and then I made a mistake. It's okay to say that I made a mistake and minimize the loss. And I think a lot of people have a hard time with that because I am the world's best driver. How many people say that? Like, I drive better than everybody else as people are screaming and yelling and running away from him. Right? It's, it's just, it's, our nature is not to invest. We, we, we're not good at it, generally. We have to know ourselves to do it. Well, listen, Generation X appears to be looking toward retirement and going, whatever, sure. So those are, that's your generation born from 1965 through 1980. So the oldest are 58, the youngest turning 43. So about 55% predicted they will be financially unprepared for retirement. Whatever, I don't care. And they uh, were more likely to say they will be unprepared more than any other age group. And that's a survey by Northwestern Mutual. Northwestern Mutual does a lot of cool surveys. They, they looked at 2,470 U.S. adults age 18 older, uh, 640 uh, Gen Xers. Listen, it's all about uh, you know fear of missing out, right? Living for today, nothing for tomorrow. So it's it's a bit scary to think about it, but this age group, and it's not just Gen X. It's not just Gen X. I know a lot of baby boomers are doing the same thing. Well, that's right. There's a lot it's, of people in general. But it's interesting in this survey, they also said that they were the biggest uh, cohort to say they did not, uh, only 45% of them expected Social Security to be there, whereas the other generations thought it was 55%. So so you think you're going to have less coming in from, a, from Social Security, right? Right. More so than anybody else, but yet you are unwilling to save or to do the necessary actions to prepare yourself. Like, you know, I don't get don't, that, right? I don't either. If I, th if I think Social Security is not going to be there, then I'm going to be paying myself for, uh, first at double the rate. Yeah, more. Or more triple. So. I'm going to be doing more so. Yeah, but doesn't it, make sense. You know, <sighs> I understand consumerism and I understand, but we've lost the ability to be disciplined. And it comes right from our government, too. They're not disciplined when it comes to spending. Why should we as a household? Because we can't print money. But it seems like the government prints us more and more money. So maybe they believe there'll be some sort of social safety net or they're going to find a way to do it. I think Gen Z, actually, which are your 20-somethings, are actually more practical. They didn't grow up in a period of time of, of prosperity. They really grew up in a period of time of economic stagnation and high debt. And I think that they're going to go the other direction for the most part because they tend to be better savers than the other generations. I mean, I see it in my own kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they don't live large. They rather spend more on experiences. They, they prioritize other things. And they work hard within the period of time they're available for work, and then that's it. And they don't want to be controlled, and they will save as much money. I mean, there's some elements of it I really admire, 
and some that I scratch my head. It's the same thing with every generation. But yeah, I noticed that Gen X tends to have like fallen through the cracks when I read a lot of studies about their their prowess to save. Yeah, I mean, and this they're is... Just, they're financial free rangers. <laughs> well, well, you should be, you know, 43 to 58. should be within peak earnings years. You're yes. becoming empty nesters. You should have more income coming in. Accelerate or, your or savings, Or maybe right? expenses not going out mm-hmm. as much mm-hmm. either. Um, but yet 38% said they've not even looked for information about retirement, Good. let alone talked to Gosh. a financial advisor and were more likely to have resisted retirement planning than any other group. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> not the gens, not the not the Gen Xs we work with. No, not there at all. There are the outliers. No, that that's absolutely right. I mean, but there, there is within any group, right? That's why there it's are a, there are super know, savers in every yeah. group, right? It's just that I think the super saver uh, out the uh, that 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 cohort is shrinks depending on the generation. Yeah. Right. I mean, obviously, baby boomers learn from the greatest generation who were a little bit overboard on saving and debt. Like, they were the extreme because they lived through the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they wouldn't enjoy their lives on anything. That was, I mean, my grandparents, I don't know about you, Danny, but the greatest generations in your families, they were always savers first, right? Frugal, oh, saving. Tremendous, yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, go to resale shops, clip coupons. I mean, try to save a dollar anyway. My grandmother can make a Cool Whip tub last forever. Everything was stored in it. I'm like, Grandma, this smells like meatloaf, and this is not meatloaf. (laughs) You know, like, in other words, everything was in one spot, was saved. Yeah. You used everything. You know, the the, the contain, the, 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 the bread come in the packages, like Wonder Bread? Yeah. We saved. She the bread package? Bread package to put stuff in. I'm like, Grandma, come on with this. You know, so, but yeah, there are some of those habits that would be beneficial on a larger scale, right? Not so extreme. But everything seems to be extreme on the other side of things when it comes to spending. So, well, we're here to help you, Gen Xs. There are some Gen Xers doing a darn good job. It all makes me wonder, Danny, we talk about this a lot. What does retirement lifestyle look in the future? Like I wrote in my book in 2012 that there would be these sort of senior communes, right? Because demographics, less people getting married, less people having children, more seniors are going to be living alone. They're going to be alone for a much longer period of time. So you're almost going to need this community support uh, network, right? That is going to be available. And uh, at the time, about 10 years ago, there were all these communities coming up, these high-end like RV communities where people had communal gardens and kitchens. I mean, I think that that was, I think that that's the future for a lot of retirees because they're not going to be able to do it on their own at all because they're not even going to have the fi- the family caregiver support. Yeah. I mean, you look at right now, you see the generational, um, you know, household at the moment where you have, you know, parents living with, uh, with their kids, their, at the, at the their highest levels, right? With, Since you know, yeah. like world war two. Yeah. yeah. But, but now to your point, because the lack of, you know, childbirth, 
there's going to be a big generation here who's going to have, mm-hmm. they're going to have to rely on each other versus family. So maybe it is, you know, you've always been a big fan of the tiny homes. You're going to have to have some type of commune or community where you see people living together and kind of, you know, yeah, hey, I I'm going to rent this room, you rent this room in an apartment, that type of situation, just to take care of each other. Yeah. EC says, Google the villages. No, I'm not talking about the villages. I think that's the higher end of it, and there are those yeah. communities as well. But I'm talking about really like Danny's talking about. Plot of land, eight or ten tiny homes or RVs, and people commute, you know, having this community kind of thing. I, I just don't know how else people are going to do it. I, I just don't. It's not going to be easy. <laughs> it's not. It's not Especially if you don't have any Social Security. Or retirement savings. Or say, say for example, we don't X, fix right? Social Security, right? Yeah. And we talk about this, that we keep track of the trust fund, and I do think it'll be there. We do think it'll be there because otherwise you're going to be really tripping over people in the street. No kidding. Um, it has become America's pension. Uh, but what if there is a 25% pay cut? Or what if they say, listen, the, the, the uh, full retirement age is no longer 67 it's 68. If you're born 70, 1974 or later, your, your new full retirement age is 68. The delayed credit is 71, 72. Who knows? Right? Um, which, which portends to being healthier in retirement. I'll talk to you about something that we've talked about here, but something maybe you should look to do as well. So, yeah, we have a whole, we have the greatest generation. We have now rolled into... The roll its eyes generation. And think about how deflationary that would be. Oh, if you had that cut. Oh, and benefits. Absolutely. It wouldn't be seen disinflation. It'd be deflation. It would be. We'll be right back. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Wow, time flies when you're having fun. Being an adult, being an adult is so weird. I'm just unsupervised all the time. How unsafe. Danny and Brent know how true that is. Oh, yeah. So we have Memorial Day weekend coming up. Headed to Gonzalez. Because even though the girlfriend was born here, she doesn't know much about the history of Texas. <laughs> the New York boy knows about Texas, but she... Okay. But if you want to catch up on your reading, there's a really excellent book. If you're concerned about your health, it's called Outlive. And it's the science and art of longevity by Peter Attia, Dr. Peter Attia. Excellent, excellent book talking about the technology that's coming out um, to monitor your health, to understand issues before they become problems, um, diets, exercise. 
So he says in this book, Danny, if you can work out within your um, your zone two, which is your heart rate is about 80% above the normal rate, whatever your workout rate is. So you know yeah. your normal rate, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're in this zone two, that's the key to longevity. So you own an Apple Watch, it'll actually show you zone two, but he talks about the incredible benefits of exercise. I mean, more than diet, anything else, the, the, the incredible benefits. So last year I talked to Danny and I said, hey, you know, we always do plans. When we do plans, we, we, try, to look, we try to help people who are looking to understand their, their whole financial life. We go to Living to 100 and take the test. Take the 40 exam test. It's a lifestyle quiz. It'll give you some idea of how long you're going to live. It's a longevity quiz. Dr. Peel, he does a great job with it. But then I came up with the idea is it would be nice if every client or everyone who did a plan did 23andMe. Because 23andMe has a health element to it. No, I do not own 23andMe stock or SPAC or anything else. But what's important about it, it'll, it'll give you an idea of based on your heritage, the, the weak spots, the tendency for you to have certain issues, prostate cancer, colon cancer. You know, it's no health diagnostic. It just gives you an idea that you are predisposed. So if we have a client that say is, and what I was really focused on was dementia, Danny. So if we knew a client had, and then, you know, Chris Hemsworth did this test and he found out he had the APOE-E4 gene, which is for dementia, right? It dramatically increases the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. So you have all these scientific elements that enable us to measure our true age. And Peter Attia talks about true age versus biological age. So you, as I always mention, your, your financial advisor is going to become a health advisor in the future. And I've said this so many times. And there's this article that was in Investor's Business Daily talking about this, that if you want to do better planning, and we were looking at 23andMe, if, it, if, if someone came up with this likelihood for dementia, yeah. then I thought we would have to have a more robust planning for long-term care. Right? We want to prepare someone, even if they say, listen, I, I, I'm self-insured. Well, maybe that's still not enough. Because you can live a long time in dementia, and it could be very expensive. Oh, I mean, you're seeing people live 10 years with it. Right. So I said, you know, so I was like, we've got to find a way to work this into planning. So this, there's a firm that actually has done this. Um, but there's a powerful link between your genetics and longevity that can be used for financial planning purposes. This is Jay Olshansky, he's a University of Illinois Chicago professor. He's, co- he's, he's, a, he's got a paper coming out, Personalized Financial Planning. Danny, I'll make sure to get you a copy of this as soon as it comes out. Using Applied genet- Genetics. And he says this is the next evolution in wealth management. So he says, if, for example, a DNA test says you have a high probability of living to 90, it probably makes financial sense to delay retirement Continue to fund your nest egg. Wait till 70 to take Social Security. Robust long-term care strategies. So this is going to connect. There's a firm out there that actually created software to do this. To actually, And I think your advisor in the future, Danny, 
is going to need to ask you questions you may not feel your financial advisor has the right to know. Your blood pressure, your BMI, your blood sugar levels. This is coming. This is coming. There's no way to not integrate these two. Well, so why, it's why amazing that not, the professor right? is going to come up with this. And we talked about it last year, but now it's just starting to become an issue. Man, I would love to pull it in our policy that a client has to go for 23andMe. But I know I can't do it. But boy, would I love to do that. Because I think it would teach them so much about their own health. Well, the more information you're armed with, I think the better decisions you can make. And if we have some type of idea, now obviously nobody knows your expiration date, but if we know here are some things that we could be subjected to. Right. And, and dementia, I think, is a good one. It's, it's a great one to, to really think about because what happens if you do start to show signs of it? Number one, what if nobody picks it up? And you say, oh, well, I'm just aging. But now what if you need to go get you know, legal documents done? You need to do just typical right. activities of daily living that you may be able to physically do, but mentally... I mean, that can take a lot away from somebody really quickly. So it's not just about, okay, when is my expiration date? But it's about what are the things I can do now to prevent some of these uh, potential illnesses or scenarios to occur? But how can I better arm my family to help make sure that they acknowledge and know about it? And then you can potentially you know, have, have help, um, get around it maybe. Maybe there's some things you could be doing now to prevent it. I mean, there's so much that there goes is. into it. And I admire this firm is out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they have developed a software program that collects data and utilizes it from 23andMe um, and other types of questionnaires regarding health. Because your physical health, your biological health is different from what your health really might be. You might be 63 years old physically, but, but based on all these tests, you might be biologically you might be 43 years old based on how your metabolism is and, and all these metrics. So maybe I have to plan that person differently. That's someone who's 63 and really is 83, right? Because you can't plan everybody just to be 100 years old. And a lot of financial planning softwares assume this, and a lot of advisors do, because they want to sell you stocks, and stocks are the panacea for everything, and stocks are the best thing for long-term investing. But it may not be the case. And it's not just stocks. It's how you claim Social Security. It's how much long-term care you have. So a lot of how people are going to live is their lifestyle and genetics. So they, if you had this data, Danny, you would be able to create more um, customized plans for clients. So eventually, I see it here. We are going to have to include health questions inside financial questions, along with financial questions. We're going to have to help you understand how they are linked. And I guess the curse of good health is, Danny, you do maybe have to plan to 100. Yeah. And you do have to make certain decisions that are different. But hey, if you're going to have a very healthy retirement, that's great. But even then, you can live a lot longer with illnesses that Certain can illnesses. become very costly, Correct. right? Correct. So you want to make sure you prepare for that financially. Yep. Um, yeah, it, it's difficult. So no, I think the more information we can arm ourselves with, we're going to be so much better off. You know, think about what we can do now than even what we could do 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Well, there's a, there's a blood test called Gallery right now. Okay. 
you go ahead and send a thousand dollars. Go ahead and send them your your blood. They will show if you have a predisposition for any kind of cancer, pancreatic cancer. Now you may not have any signs of this cancer. Yeah. But you have the marker. So some people say, I don't want to know. I, I, I don't want to know. I don't care. I don't want I'm the other side of it. I want to know. Because what if it's something I can change or do something that my lifestyle can tell me I can change? In other words, I can maybe I can minimize it or prolong this situation, but there are markers in your blood that will be found through blood tests. And these tests are going to become much, much more affordable. There are companies out there right now doing MRIs. You walk in, right? Uh, it's, it was a, I think it was a SPAC, but Tony Robbins was investing in this. But you go ahead and for like 189 bucks, you get a full parametric scan of your body. So if you could see where your arteries are, you know, you, are, you a, are you a heart attack waiting to happen, Right. These tests are very positive because they will allow you to get proactive on your health, but this affects every area of your life, especially your financial plan. I am going to plan differently for someone, not that I don't want them to be comfortable, but I have to maybe look at things like, hey, maybe you need to take Social Security at full retirement age, not wait until 70 years old. Yeah, that's true. Right? There are going to be certain things you have to do. So health and wealth are connected, and that book is Outlive. The Science and Art of Longevity by Peter Atia. But I guess if I'm going to roll my eyes at Generation, for Generation X, I'm going to eat whatever the heck I want because I'm not saving for retirement anyway. You want to go get a dozen donuts? Let's go. Hey, maybe you do themselves a favor, right? <laughs> Money Monday. What's tomorrow? Can't be Taco Tuesday. Sure can. No. How's that money related? What's a money taco? Well, I mean, we can make anything related to it, right? I mean, how many tacos do you eat a week? Just think, if you oh, forego one taco. One taco. What would it do to your genetic test and your money? We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.